0: Our first reading is from Isaiah chapter 9. I'll start reading from verse 1. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who are in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light, on those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood establishing it and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Our second reading is from Matthew chapter 4, reading from verse 12. When Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he withdrew to Galilee. Leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum which was by the lake in the area of Zebulun and Naphtali, to fulfill what was said through the prophet Isaiah. Land of Zebulun and land of Naphtali, the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people living in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. From that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks.
1: Well, good morning, and let me add my welcome uh, to the welcome we've already received uh, from Andy this morning. Um, it's great to be here and to look at God's word together. Now, can you turn back to that passage in uh, Isaiah chapter nine, on page five one seven, in your in the church Bibles. 517, uh, Isaiah chapter 9. And as you do, um, I just want to take you back to the First World War. During the First World War, Eric Milner White, he served as an army chaplain in the 7th Infantry Division. The Great War, as it was called, it was a time of great devastation, death, and darkness for many. And Eric was worried that the war had turned people against Christianity, so he introduced nine lessons and carols to King's College Cambridge and they've been a popular staple ever since. So whenever today's passage is read which uh, Isaiah 9 is lesson 3 of the 9 it invokes happy and hopeful thoughts that seem so christmasy in a candlelit church service is the wonderful feeling of light in the darkness followed perhaps by a solo of the people in darkness have seen a great light. Or the choir singing, For unto us a son is born, From Handel's Messiah. Now you've probably heard these words in Isaiah many times before, but not stopped to think any more about it as you watch the reader return to their seat and the choir stand to sing the next song. But this morning we're going to spend a little bit more time thinking about these words. No need to rush to the next choir-led carol. Join us this evening at the Bedford if you want to do that. And as we look at these verses, it's worth considering that this passage is just as needed today as it was a 100 years ago when Eric introduced them to King's College. We still live in a world that is in darkness. We see in it the conflicts around the globe, the difficulties, in our country, the hardships, the stories in the newspapers that we receive every day. But this morning, it actually could be that the conflict and the need for peace lies closer to home. Things have not turned out for you the way that you were hoping. And you struggle to understand what God is doing in your life, why things are not working out the way you'd hoped. Or maybe you've taken your focus off God and his word and you've started to succumb to temptations and fall into repeated sin that perhaps no one else but you knows. But it brings you no peace and it leaves you just feeling defeated. Or perhaps this morning you're here and you're not yet a Christian. You're searching for answers and you think, should I follow what the Bible says? Is it worth turning to God? Will I really be able to find peace? Is there any light in the darkness? Can there be hope in times of need and despair? Let's pray that as we look at this passage, uh, that we'd find answers to that. Let's pray. Lord God, we pray that as we look at Isaiah 9, that you would help us to understand how we can find hope in times of darkness and despair, how we can look to you and see the light that you bring. Help us to understand this passage and see how it applies to our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Now, the first thing we're going to consider this morning is the danger that following the wrong light brings. But to understand this verse uh, and these verses we read in Isaiah, we're going to have to rewind a bit to see exactly why there is a need for a great light in the first place. What kind of darkness were the people of Israel experiencing? Why were things so desperate? And as we do, you'll see that the people of Israel were trying to follow various different lights. Each one of them was trying to follow the wrong light. And each one was destined to fail. The rays of hope that they were clinging to would only lead to destruction. And nowhere is this better illustrated than in the Pixar film, A Bug's Life. Now, I did promise no myself no more 1980s references after the last time I spoke, but this is 1998, so it's okay. Now, there's one blink and you'll miss it, uh, transition scene in the movie. It's, uh, in fact, my telling of it would be much longer than the actual scene, where Harry, the mosquito, he's hovering about with his pal, and he sees a really beautiful, luminescent light Harry's friend calls out to him with great urgency. No, Harry, no, don't look at the light. But Harry replies, I can't help it, it's so beautiful. He promptly flies towards it, is electrocuted, falls to the floor, and dies. You see, the light that Harry thought was so great would actually lead to his destruction. And at the time of Isaiah's prophetic ministry, things weren't that different. They were still looking for the wrong light. Judah, the southern kingdom of Israel, was facing the threat of invasion, and they needed to find a way out. The good news is that Isaiah was there to bring a message, and he brought a message to Ahaz, a king. The message from God was simple. He said, Do nothing and keep calm. Your greatest fear will not take place. Just have faith in your God. Sadly, though, Ahaz had other ideas. He looked for another light in times of darkness and formed an alliance with a neighboring country of Assyria. And what a fatal move that was. Yes, by doing that, he brought temporary relief, but it wouldn't be long before the ally became an enemy and an even worse fate awaited Judah. You see, despite the clear word of God, to stand firm in your faith, Ahaz instead chose a light of hope of his own choosing, the wrong light. He decided to look to other people for help rather than the clear word of God, a decision that would be disastrous. But what about the rest of the people? Were they any better? Where would they turn for help? What light would they follow? Well, despite Isaiah's best efforts to persuade the people to look to the Lord, the majority of the people found other places to turn. If you go back a few verses, chapter 8, uh, verse 19, it's on the same page. We read this in verse 19. When someone tells you to consult mediums and spiritists who whisper and mutter, should not a people inquire of the Lord, why consult the dead on behalf of the living? You see, the place that they looked to for hope was superstition, mediums and spiritists they looked to. They thought that the best way to avoid the doom of death and destruction was to consult those who had actually already fallen victim to it. They had had the voice of God through Isaiah with, right there with them, and they chose to ignore the clear message. Isaiah had said to them, should not a people inquire of their God? But it seems that they would do anything no matter how desperate, no matter how wrong, rather than listen to their Creator and Lord. And despite the pleas from Isaiah, where they're exhorted to consult God's instructions and warnings, they chose the false light of superstition, which left them with no light and no hope at all. And surprisingly, perhaps, this kind of superstition is very active today. This BBC article from a few years ago describes how people turn to the occult and to tarot, which seeks to provide guidance through cards to deal with the situations they face and to try and gain back control of their lives, even using witchcraft and spells against Pres- President Trump. It describes how people are lonely and angry. Tarot cards help them to cope with insecurity in these difficult times. You see, people are looking for answers, for guidance, for control of their lives. But they're looking in all the wrong places. They're turning to the wrong light. But as well as the dangers of the occult, there are many other lights that you could turn to as well. Things that seem so tempting, so beautiful, so alluring, to get you through this phase of your life. It could be an illicit relationship, when things are not going well for you elsewhere. A dodgy website that draws you in, you keep coming back to it. Just one more glass of wine to help you get through a tough day, and maybe one more as well. Instead of following those false lights, those wrong lights, you need to watch out for the danger that following those lights brings. And if we go back to Isaiah, you can see the consequences that they faced when they pursued the wrong light. Verse 21, distressed and hungry, they will roam through the land. When they are famished, they will become enraged and looking upwards will curse their king and their God. Then they will look towards the earth and see only distress and darkness and fearful gloom and they will be thrust into utter darkness. When they rejected God's word, what was left for them? They were hungry and distressed. In desperation, they were wandering the land looking for food. They developed deep-seated anger against their failed political leader Ahaz, but anger most deeply against God. In their time of need, they turned anywhere but to God for help. As I had pleaded with, with them to see sense, he said, "'You don't need to fear what other people fear. "'Put your trust in God.' but it was all to no avail. I don't know if you've ever seen pictures of a black hole. They often look like this. It looks quite beautiful, but actually, it's a bit deceptive, isn't it, really? Because the black hole bit uh, looks more like this. It's complete darkness, absolute absence of not light. You go there, and there's no hope at all. And this is all the people of Israel have in store for themselves at the end of chapter 8. Utter darkness. They'd followed the wrong light. They'd rejected God's word. <coughs> I wonder, though, when troubles come, where do you turn for help? You know the right answer. You should turn to God. But in reality, are there other things that you naturally turn to? Instead of this, though, you should Follow what I said, so, uh, said there. Stand firm in your faith. And other times when you find it hard to accept that God's word is best, even in the most troubling of circumstances, the best place to turn is always to God and His word. Whatever we are facing, don't look elsewhere for light and hope. God will never let you down, He is always faithful. Don't be like Harry the mosquito don't be like the Israelites. Don't follow the wrong light. But secondly, in contrast, we're going to see that there is joy in the unexpected light. There's an unexpected light and that gives us so much joy. Now some of you know, may know that Hope and I spent several years out as missionaries in Southeast Asia. Towards the end of our time there, Hope became quite ill. And we started having to pay for medical expenses. There's no NHS there, so we had to pay for them privately and the costs were going up and up. We didn't really have any reserves to pay for it. We, we didn't know what we were going to do, how we were we going to pay the bills and cover the costs that we had to pay. And one day, a friend turned up with an envelope that he'd been given to pass on to us. We don't know who the envelope came from. And in the envelope was a large amount of money to cover the costs of uh, the bills that we had. So we decided to gather the receipts together and work out actually how much is it that we owe. And we found that the amount in the envelope was the same as the amount of the bills that we had to pay. It was amazing, uh, especially as no one but us knew the amounts of the bills, so they couldn't possibly have worked that out. You see, in a time when we were unable to do anything to help ourselves we couldn't afford to pay the bills there's nothing we could do god provided miraculously in a way that we could never imagine that was so unexpected and beyond what we could ever think and we were able to just rejoice and give thanks in response to god's unexpected and generous gift towards us it's very humbling and a time of great joy in a time of deepest trouble for the people of Israel in utter dar- darkness, they were in a situation where they're completely humbled and there was nothing they could do to get out of it. We saw that they're in utter darkness. But then we come to chapter 9, verse 1. Let's read the first five verses again. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who are in distress. No more gloom. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the future... He will honor Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the days of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. Now the incredible thing about this, now we've seen the context, is just how unexpected this is. First of all, notice where the end of gloom and distress and darkness will begin. Verses 1 and 2. It's in the northern part of Israel, Zebulun, Naphtali, Galilee. But when this prophecy was given, that must have seemed impossible. The northern kingdom of Israel hadn't even yet been conquered. That was still to happen. Disaster was still a future event. And yet, here we're talking about uh, the unexpected light appearing. And the people, at this point, they were walking in darkness. There's no sign of repentance. There's no sign of change. And yet, there's a promise of a glorious future. And in verse 3, do you see how it talks about joy? Increase their joy. They rejoice, rejoice, rejoice. This great joy of an enlarged nation not of one decimated by the enemies, of a plentiful harvest, not the rations of war, and, and a, a position where their conflict is over, and no army boots are no longer needed. But what brings about such an amazing transformation when everything seems so helpless? There was a reference, wasn't there, in verse 4 to Midian. And what's all that about? Actually, this is one of the verses, verse 4, that's usually missed out in the Nine Lessons and Carols version um, because people probably wonder, what's that about? But the reference to Midian takes us back to the book of Judges and the story of Gideon. It's the account of how God kept on telling Gideon to make the army smaller and smaller. Starting with 33,000, he told Gideon to reduce it until there were only 300 left. And even then they did little more than blow trumpets and smash jars. For it was God and God alone who gave victory against the invading army of Midian. By referencing that event here, Isaiah makes it so clear that the harvest, the end of the war, the light, the ending of gloom, these were all going to be from God and God alone. There is nothing anyone could do to bring about their own hope. To find their own salvation. And there's so much joy that that ushers in. As we saw in verses 3 and verse 1. No more gloom. Even in the darkest times. You can look forward to that absolute joy. That God will provide. It's all of God's doing. It's by God's amazing grace. And there's nothing that you can or should do. To usher in that light and hope. But it's a great promise to hold on to when things look bad. Often, don't we, we want to be part of the solution to find our own way out of trouble. But this unexpected light, these amazing promises, this incredible reason for rejoicing is 100% of God's doing. He will bring about this amazing transformation and this time of joy. So trust in God for everything and know that what he can do is far greater than any attempts you might want to make to create your own light and to find your own hope. But how is this promised future going to come about? How can we know this joy? Up to now, it hasn't been really shown how that happens. But in these last verses, verse 6 and 7, we see the answer. And we can see that there is peace re- by the revealed light that is offered. Now, I know that perhaps most of us here already know the spoilers for these verses. But let's look at these verses and try to imagine what it would have been like for them to hear it the first time, back in the time of Isaiah. Look at verse 6. For to you a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. If you'd heard Isaiah speaking the words of this chapter, beginning with verse 1, you might say, but wait, you promised the destruction of Israel. When is this future honor for that northern region of Galilee going to occur? And you would say, you speak of amazing abundance and a remarkable end to war and an era of peace. Verses 3 to 5, but look, our future is so bleak. There's no hope. We're facing famine and oppression and hardship. And then you would say to verses 6 and 7, you speak of the one who is to be born that will be our savior. But who is he? Could he be Ahaz? There's nothing in the description that looks like a king. What about the next king, Hezekiah? Well, he was no mighty king or a wonderful counselor. What about a king after that? Well, there's no one after him who seems to fit the bill. To find the big reveal, you'd have to go in a time machine more than 700 years into the future and there at last, you would find someone who fits all the clues, who answers all the unanswered questions. In the passage that we had read earlier in Matthew chapter 4, we saw that so clearly, didn't we? Finally, after so many years, Isaiah's prophecy is fulfilled. As Jesus began his ministry on earth, and if we were to read through the rest of the Gospels as well, we'd find out, just how jesus perfectly fits isaiah's description like absolutely no one else could jesus is a wonderful counselor and that word wonderful really could be translated supernatural it's used primarily of god and what god does jesus is a wonderful counselor and as we look at his amazing ministry we see him uh, having divine wisdom and insight he teaches and guides everyone he meets whether they be individuals and crowds and his followers, in ways that no one else could with such great divine wisdom. He's a wonderful counselor, and Jesus is the mighty God who came to us on earth. He is God with us, Emmanuel, another Isaiah prophecy. Throughout his ministry on earth, he performed signs and miracles that no one other than God could do. He demonstrated that he was not only human but also divine. No other king could claim that. <coughs> then we see that through Jesus we have access to the everlasting Father. He offers a restored relationship with God, a welcome into God's family, a home in heaven that lasts forever. And we see that he is the Prince of Peace. Not a skillful negotiator who could broker a better deal with the foreign powers than Ahaz or Hezekiah could. Not an astute commander of the army who could overcome the occupying Roman forces of Jesus' day. But the one who brings the kind of peace that we all need. You see, all of us by nature are like the people of Israel back in Isaiah chapter 9 verse 2. We are the people walking in darkness and that darkness and that conflict is not against uh, an evade is, is not at the hands of an invading nation it's a sin in our hearts it's our conflict and rebellion against God while we were in darkness and through no action of our own Jesus came into the world he died on the cross and bore our sin he brought peace to all to look to him for forgiveness. And he brought the promise of an amazing future with him, of a time of unparalleled harvest and blessing, an end to conflict and war, an eternal relationship with God in heaven. Isn't that amazing what uh, we have in Jesus, the revealed light? Now, there are many examples that I could share with you of those that have found the joy of the light that is revealed in Jesus. The story of CO, uh, COJ is just one of those. She was a school teacher in the US. For many years, she followed the wrong light of new age uh, occultism. And it brought her to a place of great darkness. She suffered from the overwhelming sense of heaviness that she could never pay her karmic debt Never do enough to be free. She came under demonic influences that tormented her. She, for years, she could not sleep properly and suffered many other side effects. It's what she said about her situation and how she looked at life. She said, I believe that by focusing my thoughts and words on positive things, I could not only ensure a better quality of life, but also assist in paying my karmic debt. But for years, my reality refused to match this framework, no matter how much work I did on myself. She tried so hard. She tried to fix the problems that she had and the situation she was in. But she was following the wrong light. But then in 2017, she received an unexpected light in the darkness. She says that her life was unexpectedly transformed while she was at a new age retreat. And surprisingly, someone at that camp said to her, do you know Jesus? And so that was a beginning for her of a journey of discovery to find the amazing grace that God offers. Eventually, she came to know the revealed light of Jesus, Jesus Christ of Nazareth in Galilee. Where that promise was fulfilled in Galilee, and understood that there was nothing that she could do but humbly submit to the amazing grace of God. And finally, she found peace and joy in Him. But her story is not unique. Every one of us has the opportunity to find light in the darkness, to find hope in times of despair, whatever it is that we're facing. But just make sure that you don't cling on to the wrong light that can do nothing to help you and instead turn towards the grace of God and rejoice in what Jesus has done for you <coughs> looking forward with anticipation and joy to the amazing things that God has in store there is hope in the darkness we can find the light and we can rejoice in all that God has done for us in Jesus Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you that our salvation is not dependent on what we do. We can do nothing to attain it for ourselves, and that's a comfort, because uh, anything that we might try will just be hopeless and cannot, cannot succeed. But we thank you that in our time of desperate need you have given us the one thing we need jesus our savior the light in the darkness we thank you that you fulfilled your promises of sending the messiah sending your son to be our savior help us to cling on to that and to look to you for help never to in our time of desperation and despair and difficulties not to turn to other things that will lead us nowhere but to turn to you and to give thanks and rejoice in all that we can have in you light in the darkness we pray in jesus name amen